ready? No? Huh? <clears throat> okay. The Pharisee and me. This is where... No, I'm just joking. You identify in me. <laughs> you guys let me know where I'm a Pharisee. <laughs> Please help. Okay. Um, first off, I have a special surprise for everybody next week. Next week. Last week I said two weeks. Now it's next week. So be here. Bring your friends. Okay? Please, there will not be food. There will be coffee. No? I don't know where Ashton is right now. She's in New York. You've been watching? She's the best. I miss her a lot. But be here, okay? Be here. Make plans. You have plans next Sunday night. Okay? And your plans do too. Or your friends do too. Okay? So invite some friends. Make sure everybody you haven't seen here in a while comes. Cool? Please? Sound good? Okay. Cool. But tonight. Tonight. I like to ask this question to myself um, often. Just as, frankly, just a check for myself. Um, and it's the question I want to pose to you a couple different ways tonight. Um, I'm going to kind of map out five different ways, um, and it'll make sense as we kind of get through this, but um, where is the Pharisee in me? Where is the Pharisee in me? Um, anybody, let's kind of set some framework and foundation to this. What's a Pharisee? Religious leader, okay. Anybody want to add to it? Yep. Okay. Yep. Hypocritical. Yep. Yes, they were. Huh? Yeah, Nicodemus was one. It's essentially tomato, tomato, but kind of. Yeah, there was some weird things that they didn't. Well, maybe uh, they're just they kind of fall into the same pocket. But we're going to be talking about Pharisee just because, frankly, it titles better. You know, the Sadducee in me just doesn't sound very good. The Pharisee in me sounds pretty good. Um, a Pharisee was a member of the ancient Jewish sect, um, and they were distinguished by strict observance of the tradition and the written law. Um, and were commonly held to just, frankly, thinking of themselves as higher than everybody else. And like like Zach said, that they're just they're hypocritical and unfair uh, in in ways. And frankly, they cared about cared about religion more than they cared about the the faith that we actually believe in. Okay, so. Where is the Pharisee in me is the kind of question that I'll pose to you first. And 
every single beginning of the year, I have, uh, you know, when you go to like a church website and it says what, what, what we believe, you know, kind of thing. Um, I have my own spiritual values that I, I've written out for myself of just things that I value. Um, and, you know, if Lex is a temple, here's his spiritual values. Um, it's just a little thing that I, I started. Um, and I do it every single year. And um, I, I revisit it every single year of just like, okay, <laughs> I wordsmith it and be like, wow, I don't even believe that anymore. And and it's, it's this kind of, uh, I don't know, like litmus test of, here's where I was and here's where I am and here's where I'm going. Um, and so this, this topic I, I revisit often of like, what do I value most? Is this, is this just a paycheck? Is this just something, a community, a country club that I like to be a part of and I, I pay my 10% or, you know, whatever it is. And what do I value? Um, and the Pharisees had these values. They held very, very strictly to these values that they had. Whether good or bad, on paper, that's really good, <laughs> right? On paper, when you hold to something that you value, it's really good. And that's something you should be proud of. But in execution, sometimes that's where it kind of gets a little sketchy, right? The Pharisees' execution of these traditions, of these laws, of these values got a little bit sketchy. And it actually wasn't very, in, it, it wasn't very inclusive. It was very exclusive. Does that make sense? Right. Um, so I do this kind of every single year where I just kind of check my spiritual values and, and rewrite them and, and revisit them and say, do I is that even that important to me anymore? Or should this be added to this list? Right. Do I even or is the kingdom of hell on my spiritual values list or is it even important to me? Right. That kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Anybody went and looked at a church and said, OK, what do you what do they believe? Right. I have my own, and um, whenever I disciple somebody, I, I always make them write their own as well um, and, and pull this huge list out of like, okay, why do you believe that? Find scriptures of why you believe that because um, it's easy to understand what we believe, but the why is sometimes more important. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so the Pharisees have values in and frankly, it's, up, it's to uphold generational pass down of their ancestors' application of a written, wall, uh, written wall, uh, law. <clears throat> and again, on paper, that's not really that bad of a thing. But execution of this, it, it didn't go very well. Um, and at the end of the day, tradition never got anyone to heaven. Faith alone gets people to heaven. Right? I don't care how many Hail Marys you pray or how many times you drink communion. Tradition will only get you so far unless there's faith attached to it, right? And I don't really, frankly, know what the Hail Mary thing is. It was just the first thing that popped in my head. But remember this as we kind of go through this together. Um, and feel free if you, we got a smaller group tonight. So if you feel like interacting with me, interjecting, don't challenge me. I don't, I'm not really in the mood for it tonight. Uh, <laughs> but if you feel like having a, a, a conversation and adding something, um, or, a que uh, or a question, whatever, do it. But remember this throughout the entire thing. Religion dictates, but faith discerns. Religion dictates, but faith discerns. Okay, remember that. We'll revisit it at the end. You'll be like, wow, that was a really pretty bow that you drew there, or tied there. 
But through the Bible, we see Jesus often bluntly criticize this, this sect called the um, Pharisees, right? Using language like, woe to you, right? Imagine Jesus saying that to you, frick, <laughs> right? Woe to you, you, you hypocritical, pharisaical, whatever, right? Woe to you, or don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the Pharisees. Again, imagine Jesus, the King of Kings, our Savior, saying that to me. Saving that to you. Right? That would hurt. It would hurt a little bit. And you'd be like, oh, frick, I got to do something. <laughs> Weird thing is the Pharisees almost dug their heels in, you know, when they heard this stuff. And it, it, it's just so weird. Um, and it's one of those mysteries in, in Scripture. I, I guess, yeah, it's pride and arrogance, and I can put that bumper sticker on it. But... It's just so weird. This guy had such influence and had such authority and power. Wouldn't you think it's just like, all right, what's going on? It's got to be something, right? At the end of the day, they were the ones who really forced Pilate's hand to put Jesus on the cross. Right? Okay. So it's interesting. Um, but okay. Jesus was many things, many things. But for the sake of this message, I want to label him as a reformer. Okay? Jesus was a reformer. And a reformer is a person who makes changes to something for improvement. Okay? Um, yeah. Jesus wanted to change the perspective of religion from a concept of law to a concept of love. Right? And I, I want you to really, really protect yourself. And I'll remind you again as we continue go, going through this. But I'm, I'm not saying that Jesus contradicted the law. I'm not saying that because that would be very, very heretical of me, okay? What I am saying is that the application of the law was never to exclude. It was always to include and as a portrayal of love, okay? But that's, that's all that the law was, was for. Was, it was a cry from God Almighty himself to say, hey, I love you, and this is how to achieve the best life possible. Yes? Does that make sense? Okay, it's not just a, 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 he's, he's rewriting and almost um, reestablishing what, what the law actually was invented for. Okay, from a concept of law to a concept of love. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that he contradicted, but uh, because that would frankly ruin his whole messianic complex if he contradicted the law. Um, but maybe a better way of saying it is that he was illuminating the true heart behind the law. That's probably a simpler way to talk about it. And I would like to talk about what the Pharisees believed and, and what caused this tension between them and Jesus and then compare that to us as present-day Christians. Okay? And again, the question that we're unfolding tonight is, I'm actually going to sit down, is where is the Pharisee in me? That's the question. Okay? So as you're mapping out your notes, I'm going to go through five different things. And I'm going to pose you that question every single time through these five different things. Okay? You with me? Excited? A little nervous maybe? <laughs> uh, turn to Matthew 16. Turn to Matthew 16.
Matthew uh, 16, verses 5 through 12. Um, and this is some, I don't know, pretty brutal brutal language Jesus is using towards this group of, of, uh, of Pharisees. Um, and I, I just want to read it. Let's read it, okay? 16, 5 through 12. It says, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. See, they're, always, they're usually always clumped together. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we, we brought no bread. But Jesus, uh, but Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do not yet perceive. Do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered up? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000 uh, and how many baskets you gathered up? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about the bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of the bread, but to be aware of the Pharisees and Sadducees. <laughs> Again, imagine Jesus talking to you this way. Um, that would jack me up. Um, but I, I want to, as I go through this, I want us to be careful to not have a mentality of us versus them. Because I think oftentimes Christians do that, <laughs> of like, oh, the stupid Pharisees, how can they be like that? You know, how stupid are they, right? I don't want us to have that mentality because I think that's pretty pharisaical. Because <laughs> I think that's literally an act of, of having a Pharisee mentality of, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm better than them, right? And that's what the Pharisees thought their entire time Jesus was walking around is, I'm better, I'm better, I'm better than these lowly people. And I want to be careful that we don't paint these hard lines of us versus them. And as we interject our, inject ourselves into this, because... Frankly, what we're trying to solve tonight is what? Where is the Pharisee in me? Yes? And this is going to be an easy one of like, oh, I see that, you know, so-and-so, you know, like, oh, I know that's them, right? But no, we're not doing that. Because <laughs> why? That's, that's a Pharisee at nature, right? <laughs> what we're doing is, okay, what is up with me? <laughs> What's going on in me? Why is that in me kind of thing, right? We all maybe remember that message that I spoke a couple, maybe a month ago. Why is that in me, right? Um, so, frankly, that's not the heart of this, and it sure isn't Jesus's. Um, but what is Jesus calling out in their teaching? Does anybody know what they were actually teaching and, and why Jesus had such a beef with the quote-unquote leaven that they were proclaiming? Does anybody know? Yeah, there was a side of that, that they were making it a performance, right? They were the ones praying on the street corners in immaculate clothes, using all the father gods and God, yeah, yeah, all of those things that they could, right? And praying with just bigger words than need to be used, right? Okay, good. What else? What else was going on?
Good, I'll tell you. I'm glad. That's good. <laughs> um, and frankly, again, I'm going to give the Pharisees a little bit of kudos here. Okay? I know, it's weird. Uh, but they really believed in what they were doing. They did. They really, really believed in what they were doing and what they were trying to proclaim to the people. They really believed in it. I mean, they built the entire one ministries around it. They built their livelihood around it. And they frankly built their lives around it. It wasn't just, a, oh, I'm going to go work at Wells Fargo kind of thing. It was, oh, I'm laying my life down to be this as a Pharisee. It was not just some like, I'll, I'll just go apply and I'll get it, right? It was very, very hard to achieve. But what they were, um, I guess, frankly, Jesus wanted to make sure everyone knew his message and, uh, and the heart cry of the law was inclusiveness and love. Yes? That's what Jesus was trying to portray here. He wanted everybody to know what his goal was as Messiah. Yes? And frankly, Jesus is warning his disciples to be careful of taking liberties. Of taking liberties with Scripture. When you add a small amount of leaven to dough, the entire bake is affected. Right? How many of you know? Has anybody made bread here? Right? You can't really just like... <laughs> it, it, it doesn't just grow like lopsided or anything like that. It, it, right? It's, it, it affects the entire loaf or the entire bake, if you will. Okay? So, as Christians, we need to understand that our actions dictate the way everybody sees us as Christians. Right? No matter how big or small, everything that we do, everybody sees and ex it exemplifies what Christianity is, whether good or bad. Right? They were Jewish. Yes? Didn't mean that all Jews were bad. <laughs> right? Because that would be a silly, that would be a very big extreme to jump to. It just means that, hey, we, they were taking liberties. Okay? So, um, and frankly, we, we often take liberties or comprehend Scripture to affirm our situation or circumstance and, frankly, create ourselves our own theology just to deal with what we're going through in life. Right? Like, oh, well, <laughs> whatever it might be. Right? I think... Guys group, we experienced that real time uh, last Wednesday where we were just like, oh, yeah, that, that's definitely how he felt. Uh, yeah, he did. And then it was like, whoa, <laughs> what's the word say? <laughs> no, that's how you would feel, <laughs> not what the word says, right? And it's a real thing that all of us fall into uh, trapped of. Okay? Good? So, kind of the first thing, conformance to the law is my number one. Jesus' manifesto, uh, if you will, was unconditional love. This love that, trans that transcends um, race, color, status, etc. Right? It was um, unconditional love. Nothing could remove it. And when I think of his unconditional love, and I might be a, a weird one for this, but I think of the Good Samaritan parable. Okay? I think of this parable um, in the sense of there's three, um, essentially sects, um, S-E-C-T-S, highlighted in this story. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Yes? Are we all familiar with this? Yeah? You guys have been around the church enough, right? Um, so, frankly, the, both the priest and the Levite were strict, strict followers of the law. Yes? 
they had responsibilities in the temple that restricted them from doing, frankly, certain things. One of which was attending to a bloodied up, dying man on the side of the road. It actually prevented them. Their religion prevented them from helping a bloodied, dying man who was beat up on the side of the road. Are you hearing me? What? <laughs> Their religion prevented them. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? If a priest or Levite got involved in this scene, of this Good Samaritan parable scene, this would have deemed their entire ministry and themselves unclean, and they would have lost their entire livelihood, their entire status, their entire everything that they've built. Did you know that side of the story? That adds a little bit of a different weight to it, right? I'm just like, oh, frick, okay, well, oh, if I was going to lose my job, if I was going to lose my house, if I was going to lose this, if I was going to lose that, and we start, you know, doing this inventory of, well, what am I willing? What am I willing to give up? But what am I not willing to give up for the sake of helping someone? For the sake of seeing someone? For the sake of stopping? For the sake of being late? For the sake of this? For the sake of that? For the sake of maybe humanity? Are you hearing me? Okay. So... Like I said, this would have made them unclean and they would have lost everything. The priest and the Levite held to a law above humanity and decided to carry on and essentially let this man die. Yes? But it's interesting, the Samaritan who was, was hated by the Jews, a Samaritan person was literally resented by the Jews because of their certain practices. Let me tell you what kind of practices that Samaritans would dabble in. Are you ready? Some are just going to be like, what? Who cares? Others are going to be like, oh, well, that's kind of a big thing. <laughs> okay? Samaritans were intermarrying with Assyrians and ruining their purity of their Abrahamic descent. And that was a big, big no-no <laughs> to the Jewish people, Yes. Okay, that's just, you don't mess with Abraham and the, and the Jewish people, right? You just don't, okay? It's not a good thing. And they also uh, didn't believe in the prophets and in a way had a religion of their own which was considered blasphemous by the Jews. Okay? This is the Samaritan belief, yes. But what's crazy about this story and what's crazy about Jesus is that Jesus acknowledged that the Samaritan was the one who knew the heart of God above the priest and the Levite. Are you hearing me? Jesus is acknowledging the Samaritan, knowing that the Samaritan knows the heart of God more than the trained-up priest and the trained-up Levite who's dedicated their entire life to the study, right? Isn't that wild? And Proverbs puts it very simply in Proverbs 10, 12, love covers all sins or a multitude of sins, whatever 
right? So Jesus is showing us that there is no religion or law above humanity and love. Are you seeing this? There's no religion of law that's above humanity and love. And this is the, frankly, what I believe the illumination and the essence of what Christianity truly is. Right? I think, frankly, in our day and age, we've funneled this thing called Christianity down into, okay, a Sunday service. If you go there, good. If you maybe read your Bible, good. If you pray a little bit, good. If you show up, good. And if you say that you're a Christian, good. Right? We funneled it down to this instead of the essence of what I believe Jesus was portraying. And we'll, you'll see other, other situations where the essence and the illumination of Christianity is to see humans and to love them. It's to see humanity above your religion. Right? And you're like, well, hold on. What are you asking me to do? I'm asking you to love. That's all. Right? I'm asking you to, to think, is my religion getting in the way of me loving someone? Because that's what happened with the priest and the Levite, right? Their religion literally prohibited them from helping a dying man, right? I mean, like in our day and age, I mean, frick, they could, they could have barely picked up their cell phone and dialed 911. Like their hands were that tied. Do you get it? I think that's crazy. In James 1.27, it reads, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this. Listen. To visit orphans and widows in distress and to keep one unstained by the world. Yeah? Isn't that cool? Do you see it? Do you see the essence that Jesus is trying to proclaim through us or to us? Okay? And then in Matthew 12, um, <clears throat> When we see the Pharisees question Jesus about his observation of the Sabbath, remember when Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath and, oh my gosh, how could you do that, right? Jesus replies in verses 11 and 12, If any of you have a, has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out of that pit? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? And he continues and says, Therefore, it is lawful. Are you seeing this? He's establishing his heart. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I mean, you can't refute that <laughs> praying for someone to be healed is good. You can't refute that. Like, that's a good thing, period. Even if it hypothetically doesn't work. Okay, it's still a good thing to do. Yes? Are you hearing me? Okay. So you see what I'm talking about? Isn't this cool? Okay. I had a lot of fun preparing this, so whatever. Jesus focused on the display of love more than the display of tradition. You can partake in a Sabbath all you want, but if you don't do good on the other days, you're playing dress up. So think about this today, right? Um, Isabel brought up the... Israel and Gaza and Palestine stuff, right? What was our knee-jerk reaction to do 
make it a political issue, right? <laughs> that was our immediate reaction. Let's make it a political issue. Have we ever thought, oh, wow, that's a humanity issue. There's innocent lives on both sides, period. Game, set, and match, right? Am I more moved by, oh, my gosh, how dare they mess with Israel? That's my religion. Or, hey, what's going on? There's hurting people. There's lost people. And there's innocent lives and blood being shed as a humanity issue. Are you hearing me? Have you thought of it that way? Or is it just, no, I have two right wings. No, I have two left wings. Therefore, <laughs> ugh, right? No, it, this is a humanity issue. And frankly, most things are a humanity issue. All, frankly, let, let's face it. All things are a humanity issue. Whether it's pro-life or pro-choice, whatever it is, it's a humanity issue. It's not a left-wing, right-wing issue. And if we can grab that as 20-somethings, Oh, look out, America. Yeah? Isn't that cool? Okay. Does all that make sense? So here's the question. Where's the Pharisee in me? Do we hold to a law or religion above love for humanity? Make sense? Still with me? Okay. Give me one second. My computer's about to die. I know. I know. Thanks, Wyatt. Does that first one make sense? Yeah? Okay. Next one. Is discrimination based on our faith? Whoa, I didn't know what was happening to me right then. My second point, my second bucket, if you will. Yeah, yeah, thanks for letting us know. The Pharisees are known for their outward demonstration of faith, um, like tithing, Dru Jewish tradition, the, the way they dressed, right? All of these things. Um, and they had a pretty big pride in their religion, right? They had a pride in their religion. And again, on paper, doesn't sound bad. Do you have pride in your religion? Yeah, that's why it's your religion, right? All of us have maybe a little bit of a different religion in here. <laughs> Some of you guys think of Jesus differently than I think of Jesus. And we all have different religions. And we all fall under, the, fall under this thing called Christianity, right? And I am really, really proud of mine to the extent that I, I've, I've embraced a pastoral title of my religion, right? And frankly, so have you. You've embraced a pastoral title of your religion, and you, if you're proud of it, proclaim it to all who will listen. Yes? You get what I'm talking about. Kind of fun, yeah? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> um, Matthew 23. Go there. Well, actually, go to Luke 18. I'll just read this one solo. It's just one verse, so go turn to Luke 18. Um, but in Matthew 23, verse, verse 27, it reads, 
uh, and this is Jesus talking, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There's an exclamation point after that. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all, not some, but all uncleanliness. Yo, dude. Whoa. Nobody wants that. Okay? And that's Jesus saying this to this, this people. Yes? <laughs> just... Dude, that's like a pretty big insult just to say to somebody like on the street, you know, like you're just like a body full of dead people's bones. But like, imagine saying that to someone. That's so funny. Um, but like he is tearing down what they are doing and what they're proclaiming. But then we flip over to Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. And it reads... Did I write that down? Yeah, 9 through 14. Uh-oh. Did I write down the wrong? Oh, I'm in Luke 9. That's why it was like, read the 4,000. Why are you doing that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he did it, but why am I? Why was that in my notes is what I meant. Uh, Luke 18, verse 9. Um, it says, and he also told this parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Yo, dude, do you hear this? And that's just like a, that's not even, that's just like, hey, here's a little intro to what's about to come, right? Let me read that again, because I think you missed it. Because I've missed it before, and I've read this a lot. G this is a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And then Jesus talks and says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes or tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Wow. So this messes with a lot of people's theology. This one parable. And my question is, what? Where is the Pharisee in me? Where is the Pharisee in me? Who am I like? How do we look at people as Christians? Right? Or how do we look at people who aren't as well-versed as us, as Christians? Right? I mean, think of it. If I were your pastor and I just looked down upon you and said, "Oh, let me let me give you let me give you some milk," like, no, dude, I am so sick of milk, <laughs> right? Like, let's eat some good stuff, right? I'm so, I was so pumped when Miller wasn't eat, drinking bottles anymore, dude. Now he's just munching on steak, and we can just grill steak together, right? It's so fun, and he just eats it like it's candy, right? 
Do we look down upon people as Christians? Because sometimes I think we do, right? I think Christians look down upon people a lot. Like, look how much salvation I have and you don't. You know? Like, I think sometimes we forget that it's a hope of salvation. (laughs) Not an entitlement of salvation. It's a hope in the context of, I hope I get there. Not a, ah, I'm good. Right? Do you get it? You can have assurance and you can have confidence in it. Yes. But remember, you're probably very, you, you probably have a lot of salvation in your own religion. Are you getting me? You have a lot of salvation in the religion that you've crea- created. Right? Because I can create, I can create an entire theology out of this book that affirms my life that I'm living today. And I can say that I'm a perfect person. And I can justify myself. The only one that kind of messes with that is all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But I can throw that one out. Jehovah Witnesses have, <laughs> right? Do you get what I'm talking about? Right? I think oftentimes as Christians, we are so entitled. And frankly, a lot of people have issue with Paul because of that. Right? He's just so arrogant. And the way he talks in his writings are just like, oh. Right? A lot of people feel this way. I I get it to some extent, but like, be careful. It's still scripture. Don't. (laughs) Right? But do you think of anyone but yourself when it comes to Christianity? Or is it just a, I've got this, mine? Because last time I checked, Christianity is supposed to be a thing that's shared. And do we walk around entitled because of our hope of salvation? Do we look at the lost as humans, or do we look at them as opportunities? Right? The way I grew up, everybody was an opportunity. They weren't a human being. Right? And you can you can catch yourself this in the job field as well, just like a client being a number, right? And Christians do the same thing. How many salvations did you get this year? You know? <laughs> How many baptisms happened at your church? How's it going? How many babies are getting dedicated at your church? You know, all these kinds of questions, right? pastor-to-pastor kind of conversations, church-to-church conversations where we compare our egos, right? You get it? Okay. Or are we a people who look at the lost like Jesus did as sheep without a shepherd? Right? Do you understand that he was moved in compassion when he saw that scene? Where that scripture comes from, he was moved by compassion. He said, whoa, those are sheep without a shepherd. I've got to go help them. Yeah? But where's the Pharisee in me? Where is the Pharisee in me? Okay, so that's the second one. The third one. 
hating sin and sinners. <laughs> Jesus was and is very, very inclusive. Yes? How many of you agree? He's very, very inclusive. Yes? Good. I hope you agree with this. Whether you're a sinner, whether you're a saint, whether you're a Gentile, sick, a demoniac, a leper, he sees you and he wants you. And he's very, very inclusive. He embraced all and didn't have a problem with it one bit. Even though some tradition forbid it. Say it again. Because the Jews were the original chosen people. Right? And he addressed this in, like, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the saying? Uh, the, the trumpet blew, but nobody heard it, and nobody danced. Yes, yeah, something like that, right? And that is a whole portrayal of, hey, I, I have tried so hard with the Jewish people. Now I'm going to go after the Gentiles, right? Frankly, and I think this is, again, uh, I, I believe a misconception in all of Christianity is that um, he only wanted the Jews for a long time. I don't believe that. I think he selected the Jews to, to say, I'm going to send you out into all of the world so that they could deliver the message. Yes, that's what I believe. Okay, Other people might have other opinions on that, but just my study and my time in the scriptures, that's what I believe. So it was never, hey, <laughs> you know, there was w one time that it's a little weird of like, hey, don't go to, don't go to Asia, I believe it was, um, in Acts. Like, don't go there, uh, whatever. But, uh, yeah, go somewhere else, something like that. But he's got purposes for everything. Again, it doesn't matter. We just are supposed to say yes to him, right? Does that make sense? Okay. So, you can imagine how much the, the, the Pharisees struggled with who Jesus was hanging out with, right? Um, and I think it's interesting. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting how Jesus comes across very, very harsh to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, but super calm and loving towards the outcasts. You guys ever thought of that? Like, man, woe to you. And John the Baptist calls him a brood of vipers, dude. And it's just like all of these things, wham, wham, wham. Yeah, I get it. But like, then he's just like, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. I'm calm. I'm, I'm good. And he saw the outcast as lost and in need of a shepherd. Yes? Where he saw Pharisees as twisters of his message. And Jesus was given a hard time for having a meal with tax collectors, but his reply was, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call, or I have not come Sorry, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So where's the Pharisee in me? Who is and isn't allowed in your circle? Right? Do you have to look a certain type? Do you have to be into the certain things? Do you this or that? Right? I get it. You don't click with people. But it doesn't mean that you exclude them. 
Hello? Right? I get it. People are into different things than you are. Sure. Doesn't mean that you ostracize them and exclude them. Who is and isn't allowed in your circle? And is it a legitimate excuse? Or are you just exclusive? That's why, frankly, if I'm just being really honest, and I won't get, don't try to ask a question on this, um, but that's why I have a really hard time with the Calvinist theology. <laughs> Where uh, the Lord predestines and selects certain people for salvation. I have a really hard time with this theology. I do. It just doesn't make sense to me um, because he is so inclusive. And I get it. Maybe all of the tax collectors and all the prostitutes and all of the people that he goes and visited, visited could be predestined. Sure, <laughs> I get it. But that's why I have such a hard time with that theology because he seems just so inclusive. And I can't imagine the character of Jesus saying, nah, I'm sorry, I didn't die for you. <laughs> like That would be wild. I just can't even imagine. Um. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Calvinism just seems very exclusive, and I just don't see that on Jesus's heart. I just don't. Um. Uh. I'd like to. <laughs> I know, I don't know. There's maybe a deeper confidence of a Calvinistic theology of just like, oh yeah, I'm a pastor, so I must be good. <laughs> but there's also the side of man, I could just be playing dress up just like everybody else, right? Yeah. For real, and that's crazy. <sighs> the question is, who is and who isn't? Yeah. Okay. I think that's the same question, isn't it? We'll, we'll have time at the end, too, okay? I know I'm throwing a lot at you guys, so we'll have time at the end, okay? Um, what, would, what, would our, what would, frankly, our equivalent be to a tax collector today in Christian terms, right? We can think of a pretty, a pretty good-sized list, right? Atheists, call girl, <laughs> yeah. Uh, some some are very I don't know pedestalized in the church, um, but 
but we won't touch that today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Atheists, call girls, prostitutes, homosexuals, druggies and their dealers. Right? The list can go on, right? Who are Christians most afraid of is maybe a better question, right? There's, Christians can be so afraid of, oh my gosh, don't, you know? So what's, everything that Jesus did was very public. It was very much in the public eye. And I think Zach brings up a good point. Would you be okay with going over to a prostitute's house? Right? Because a lot of people are going to think a lot of different things. Especially, you know, your boy me. Like, what if I went into a prostitute's house with a wife, a kid, and a pastor at a church? You'd be like, what is up, dude? And why do you keep on going back? Right? That's wild, right? Do you get it? Do you get it? Well, hey, I mean, discipleship doesn't just happen in one day. Right? Or what if I just kept on going over to a gay guy's house? And, and you know, and this is just what I did. Right? There would be some red flags all over the building. Like, what's going on with Lex? Well, yeah. Do you get what I'm talking about? That's what the beef the Pharisees had with Jesus was. What's going on? Why are you doing this? You're making us look weird. Right? Like, if I were to do that, you'd be like, dude, you're making Christians look pretty weird right now. You're, you're making Encounter Church look really weird right now. Hey, careful. My grandmother's name's on the building. Hey, you get it? All of these different things. I've got reputations here, and I've got things tied to this building. My money is at this building. I've tied it there. What's going on? Do you get what I'm talking about? And I think it's a very, very hard question to answer. Who am I okay with being seen with? Jesus included all of these people in his ministry. He even included the Pharisees in his ministry, in a sense. Right? He sure did. They invited him over, tried to trap him. <laughs> right? Do you get it? Do you get what I'm talking about? So where's the Pharisee in you? Where's the Pharisee in me? Having fun? <laughs> Number four, turn to Mark 7. Mark 7, verses 3 through 8. <clears throat> Actually, I'm just going to start at verse 1 because it's going to give better context than what I could give. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him uh, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to a tradition of their elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there, were, there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. All these things, dude. Verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? You see the verbiage here? Tradition of the elders. 
but eat with defiled hands. And, and Jesus responded, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites or what? <laughs> or I mean, as it's written, <laughs> the, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, uh, sorry, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. They had such deep tradition that there was a certain way to wash your hands. Do you know why they were washing their hands this certain way? Do you know But the, where it all started was they washed their hands in a certain way so that because they believed that the marketplace was full of demons. <laughs> yeah. So they washed their hands in a certain way so that the water would wash off the demons so that the demons would drain, drain out and fall out. So that when they would eat, the demons wouldn't jump into their mouth so that they would get demon-possessed. That's why they washed all their plates, their pots, their pans, their couches, all in a certain way because they believed in this. Think of how much faith that takes, dude. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's at least good and clean. But what's funny is Jesus washed feet and then ate. That's sick. He was like, hey, this is my way, right? Okay, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Traditions are idolatry. And Jesus can't stand idols. Traditions are in place to serve as a reminder of things that were important to our faith, right? But when, when traditions supersede the original intention, it's become an idol. This is exactly what happened with the Pharisees. Rituals like Passover, circumcision, washing of hands, all of them. They all became tradition instead of what was the real purpose in the first place. Again, they all started pretty pure, <laughs> but then they went oopsie-daisy, oopsie-daisy, oopsie-daisy as time went on. Yes? Are you getting me? When, so when something in your faith becomes an attitude of do it, quote-unquote do it, rather than being grateful, that has become an idol. Right? Think of communion. Do it. <laughs> Or, wow, I'm at the table with the Lord. Right? You get it? You see it? Or baptism. Why are you getting baptized? Well, the church told me to. <laughs> I'm new. I mean, I'm new here, so let's do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> or, wow, what a privilege to put to death my old self and proclaim my new self being raised. Right? Do you get it? You get it? It's beautiful, right? But if we just do it for the sake of doing it, don't do it, right? There needs to be a gratefulness that's attached to it. Um, Luke 16, 15, it says, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. Do you hear it? 
You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your heart. What people value highly is most likely destable to God's sight. So let me simplify this. If you've lost awe and wonder over anything in the faith, it's become mere tradition to you. You've lost awe and wonder in worship. It's just a tradition that we do to kick off Sunday mornings. We lost awe and wonder over communion. We've lost something. If we've lost awe and wonder over the word, over the story of Samson that we've heard 5,000 times, or over the story of Jesus feeding 5,000, really think of that? Dude, he had what? And he fed 5,000? Yeah, dude, that's crazy. That brings an awe and a wonder to me. Yes? Think of Easter. <laughs> Let me poke it, yeah? Can I poke the bear? Look at Easter. Right? We hardly celebrate Easter anymore. Like, seriously, look at what the church has done to Easter. We celebrate the dress-up, family at church, the family picture. I get to work wear a cute little sundress in pastel colors, right? Yeah, you should see me in it. <laughs> and Easter's turned into brunch, right? Not that the king of kings has raised himself from the dead. That's overlooked now. Like, that's wild, dude. He, <laughs> he was dead for three days, and then he came back. That's wild. That's what Easter is. But we've turned it into dress-up. Or like Christmas, right? It's time for churches to spend just a ton of money on this thing, <laughs> this one service, two services, five services, 20 services, whatever it might be, right? For a production so that we can dress all classy and look all sassy. And have an evening service and have dinners with our family and get some awesome gifts that we've been hoping for, right? Not that the king of kings left his throne to become a baby. That's Christmas, dude. Not that he took on flesh and said, I'm going to poop myself. Put that on a t-shirt. Right? Think of it. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in heaven, I do not want to come back here. I have zero desire. But he did. And he came down here so that he could eat subpar food and get the, get the piss beat out of him. And he knew. It wasn't like, oh, huh, I didn't expect this. <laughs> right? That's what he was signing up for. The day, Christmas Day, that's what he signed up for. You get it? And we don't even celebrate Good Friday anymore. 
You know, it's just an overlooked holiday. We don't even celebrate Passover anymore. We don't even have that meal. We will this year. Yeah. And I'll, I'll introduce you to Jesus all over again. Okay? Or maybe like the Bible, right? We lost awe and wonder over the Bible. Where it's turned into a, I have to. Or can't I just go listen to a podcast or read some Christian book instead? Not that the King of Kings decided to leave us a book so that we could know him more. Are you getting what I'm talking about? I mean, when's the last time the Bible dazzled you? When's the last time the communion table absolutely shocked you? When's the last time that the Passover supper blew your mind? Some of you guys are like, Passover supper? Who's that? <laughs> Hardly know her. <laughs> When's the last time you were completely overcome by Jesus being born in a baby form? When's the last time that you truly celebrated Jesus raising himself from the dead? When's the last time that you truly 100% engaged in worship and didn't give a damn about who was next to you? When's the last time that you 100% believed what you were praying over someone? Or is it just, ah, it's transition time in the service. I've got to fill some space, so I guess I'll pray. Oh, so-and-so needs healing, so how do I get them to go away? Hmm. Sometimes that's how we approach it. Are we just big old traditionalists? Where's the Pharisee in me? Yeah? Last but not least. I should have probably ended with that one, but this is my last one. Resisting change that Jesus was an advocate for. <laughs> Jesus was a reformer who insisted on challenging, and frankly, I'll be careful, but changing traditional practices to fulfill the true law. Meanwhile, the Pharisees resisted change and wanted to safely continue what they were doing. So they rejected Jesus. This man that they've been hoping for, this Messiah that they've been hoping for, for their entire life and for their entire ministry and their, all of their ancestors and generation after generation have all been hoping for this one Messiah is face to face with them and they don't even recognize them. I'm afraid of Jesus coming back because I don't know if we'd recognize him. Matthew 22, verse 40, it says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, love and love. Essentially what he's saying is compact all of the commandments that you could ever think of and squeeze them into these two things. Love me and love others. And love yourself, I get it. You get it? 
again, Jesus challenges the why rather than the what. And I want to invite you into asking the why in everything that you do. Why do you take communion instead of what is communion? We can all answer that. Oh, it's Jesus' blood and body. But why are you taking it? On paper, it seems really weird. <laughs> why are you taking it? <clears throat> For example, Bible reading and prayer is, is what we are supposed to do. But throw in why, <laughs> like why should I read the Bible and pray? I believe it'll open up an entire different lens and different thing over your entire life. Instead of it making this, ah, I have to, ugh. <laughs> make it a, ah, I get to, and why am I doing it? You ever slowed down and asked why? Have you? Why church? We know what, what the church is, but why? Why do we do this? Why baptism? We know what it is, but why are we doing it? Why spread the gospel? We know what the gospel is, but why? Do you get it? The ma massive difference between having faith in God and, oh, sorry, there is a massive difference between having faith in God and following a religion. The Pharisees followed a religion. But Jesus encouraged people to build on right faith in God. And again, religion dictates, faith discerns. In John 14, 12, it says, Very, very, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than I have. Yeah, dude, that's in the Bible. John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than I have. Can you, I mean, golly, I've barely scratched the surface then. Right? I guess my question is, is, are we just modern-day Pharisees, but with less education of the word? Or who am I? And what are we doing? And why am I doing it? And where is the Pharisee in me? Because at the end of the day, there's got to be something more. Right? There has to be more. John 14, 12 says it. There has to be more. You want more? You hungry for the more of the Lord? To see him rightly, to see his face. I mean, frankly, even the scripture says, 
Look at the glory that the first law came down on with Moses. Look at how that looked. Couldn't look at him. He was so glowing, right? He had to have a veil over his face. And it says, how much more will the second that we're walking in today? People who are filled with the Holy Ghost. You get it? How much more should we be doing? Not for the sake of doing it, but because, man, I want to do right by the Lord. And I never want him to look at me as saying, woe, woe to you. Or don't be like Lex. Right? Can you imagine? Or even worse, depart from me. <laughs> never knew you. And you for sure never knew me. Right? You get it? Where's the Pharisee in you? Ask yourself. Do some inventory. You don't have to do it today. Revisit your notes. I'll post this quickly so you can re-listen to it again if you need to. But do some inventory. Revisit the what's and the why's. But don't get just stopped on the what's. Frankly, I don't believe that the Lord wants just a bunch of intellectual Christians wandering around this earth. He wants activated Christians who understand the authority of the word over their lives. Yes? Good to know things. I love it. I love knowing things too. It makes me feel nice. But if I do nothing with it, oopsie daisy. Yeah? Get it? Let me pray for you. Yes? <clears throat> Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate specific things to your people. That they wouldn't try to digest all of this in one sitting, but that you would lead them as you invite them to the table daily. And that Holy Spirit, that you would highlight the areas that we just need improvement. The areas that we've turned you into tradition instead of absolutely being in love with you. So Lord, I pray for calendars to be freed up this week so that we can dwell with you. I pray for time this week so that we can dwell with you. That we wouldn't have a busy spirit. But that we would be able to rest with you so that you can work on us. So that you can refine us. So that we can be more like you. And hold tighter to you than hold on to our tradition. And hold on tight to you instead of holding on to what so-and-so said on Instagram. That we would hold tight to you, Lord, and you alone. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would dazzle us this week as we go. As we read, as we worship, as we marinate in your presence, I just pray that you would dazzle us and that you would woo us back to your heart cry for your people. Lord, we love you, but we want to love you more. We know you're worthy, but we want to make 
make you more prominent in our lives, that you would take first place, that you would have preeminence. And I pray that over every single person, that that would, that would be their cry this week. Lord, would you start with us? Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen.